You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards the seat. We're going to be continuing in our series today, Jesus, Your Name. And we are going to be in a couple different spots. One is in Colossians 3 and then again in Ephesians chapter 6. And as we're going through this series, Jesus, Your Name, we're exploring what the Bible calls the name above every name. We're talking about how Jesus' name encompasses his power, his presence, his glory, his sovereignty, his love, his peace, his integrity, his character, uh, how he, what he values, how he does business, everything he represents. So we're talking about the name of Jesus. Uh, recognizing also that when we call upon the name of Jesus in our time of need, it's not rooted like somehow in some sort of a magic phrase, you just say this. It's something that there's power in the name of Jesus for the person in right relationship with Jesus. That doesn't mean you have to be living a perfect life with Jesus in order to have the connection with him, but we, we referenced a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 19 where there were some traveling Jewish exorcists and they were the seven brothers who were the sons of, a, of the Jewish high priest named Sceva. And they saw that there was great effectiveness that the Apostle Paul was having in seeing people come become free from evil spirits oppression using the name of Jesus who's casting them out in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. And these seven exorcists attempted to do the same and to bring deliverance to an individual saying, in the name of Jesus who Paul talks about, you know, we command you to be gone. And the spirit speaking through the man said, well, I know who Jesus is and I've heard of Paul, but I don't know you. And he beat all seven of them and left them bloody and bruised. And the name of Jesus was greatly revered and the, the people who walked with Jesus were greatly revered after this because it became very clear this is not about just throwing a phrase out there as like somehow you could collect it and not have a relationship with him, but it's tied to knowing him and him knowing us. And, you know, Chris had mentioned in the uh, worship time, uh, we were talking about spiritual warfare and an increased awareness over the last couple of weeks of, of feeling that. Let me tell you, we are always experiencing spiritual warfare. There are times we are aware of it. There are times we are just kind of oblivious. And usually when things are going well, when we're not experiencing opposition, we're not going through difficult times, we don't necessarily see that we're still under attack by the enemy. But our enemy wants to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. And if we are people who belong to Jesus, we have an adversary who's looking to take us down using a, a, a very specialized, targeted attack on us. That's why the temptations that are, are tailored to us are ones that would actually take us out. For example, if I was determined I'm only going to eat food that, that I, I, I really love and I don't want to eat anything that I don't want to get into the, the, the meats and the cheeses and, and I, I really I'm trying to fast very, very specifically and just eat certain things, the enemy would not tempt me with sushi, that would be an easy thing to walk by and say, I'm, doesn't even, it's not even on my radar. But for me, a temptation would be a juicy ribeye steak smothered in butter and garlic. And just the smell of that. And just like in Isaiah chapter 25, by the way, it says, God's going to prepare a table for us with the finest aged meats and the best wines. And that's like, that would be the greatest thing. God knows 
what we need to follow after him. And he does not call us to be people who are so focused on, oh, I've got to combat the devil on, on my daily basis. He invites us to live holy for him. And in doing so, we combat the devil. It's really funny. God places a way for us to live in obedience to him. And as we live holy lives and make right decisions in our day-to-day life, we are waging spiritual warfare against the enemy. In our marriage, when we function in unity, when we uh, connect in intimacy, when we spend time together, husbands, when we honor our wives and don't be harsh with them, And wives, when we have communication with and take the time to be patient to make sure your husband gets it, we're actually doing spiritual warfare. Seriously. That's why one of the the primary areas that the enemy will attack us is on the sniping, the stuff that just seems like, why is that person bothering me so bad? People are not our enemy. Let me say that again. Flesh and blood are not our enemy. However, the primary point that often presents itself as our enemy, you can think of a person. Who is your El Guapo? Who is the person in your life? It's like this person is is an opponent. This is a person I'm I'm an adversary with. And maybe you know them. Maybe it's somebody that's represented. Let me tell you, you do not have an enemy that's a flesh and blood. You have people that are used by the enemy, but our ultimate adversaries are dark spirits spiritual forces, and we're going to be talking about that today, and how we are called to live for Jesus, and in doing so, we wage spiritual warfare. Does that make sense? Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, for this day, and I thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to bring freedom, to bring deliverance, to bring wholeness, to bring life. Lord, I thank you that you come to our rescue. I thank you that you deliver, you restore, you heal, you love, you care for, you help us to grow. I pray that in whatever situation we find ourselves in today, we would find you working in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting today in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. We touched on this verse a couple weeks ago, and it says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I debated spending time reading through Colossians 1, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I decided to not. This verse sums up basically everything that it says. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, basically lays out, because we're in Christ, there are a whole bunch of givens that have been established for us to follow. It's like, if this is who you are and what you want to do, here's the list of stuff that it entails. Uh, as a person who's in the Locke family, we would say to our kids, these are Locke family values, and this is why we do what we do. In Jesus' family, he says, because we're in Christ, this is what people in Christ do. He says, number one, we set our mind on God's ways. We count ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And the language that's used in Colossians 3 is, therefore, put to death anything that is earthly. Okay? That's not talking about people. And it's not talking about specifically situations. What it's talking about is the stuff in us that does not have any benefit or profit towards helping us grow in Jesus, but actually is an indulgence or something heading towards sin. Sexual sin, impurity, uh, which referred to as passions or out-of-control desire, okay? We're to put away or put off our old self. You know, fits of anger, uh, fits of wrath, malice, slander, obscenity, lying. So putting to death that which is earthly, 
putting off that which is the old self, and it said putting on the new, the new self in Christ. And the characteristic, what happened when we put on in Christ, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, forgiveness, love, peace, thankfulness. And this stuff develops by a, a pattern of practice, but also by letting the word of Christ take root in us letting scripture take root in us and to dwell inside of us and to grow. One of the things about putting off the old and putting on the new, there's an imagery over and over about it being like clothes. And some people work jobs where you have to take a shower before you go to work, and other people work a job where you have to take a shower after you go to work. I've worked both. And there's something about the clothes that you're wearing at the end of the day when you work a job that you need to take a shower at the end, it's a very vivid picture of what God invites us to do. When I worked in landscaping or I worked in the janitorial business or I worked in other manual labor jobs, the clothes that I wore when I took them off at the end of the day often could stand on their own, if you know what I'm saying. They, there was a, a, a scent that came with them an aroma, if you will, that if you're surrounded by people who are in the same field, no, nobody notices anymore because you go nose blind. Anybody ever experienced nose blindness? And then you walk into a situation and somebody says, what's that scent? And you're like, I guess that's me. <laughs> There's, you know, when I, I, I was a, a lawn monkey uh, pushing lawn mower for, for several years, and in doing that, there's, a, there's, there's quite the scent that comes in your shoes, especially if you're happening to mow and it's just a little bit damp and you get the dried, wet, mulchy, you know, degenerating grass as it starts to rot smell in your shoes. That goes with you. And it starts to stain your shoes and it stains your socks and it stains your feet, yes, literally, where my feet at times would be uh, kind of greenish black even after washing them and it's just the chlorophyll and it's, it's a scent. But after being around it so much, I didn't notice. But the people around me noticed. When I was with my cousin, my coworker, he didn't notice. When I was with our other two coworkers, they didn't notice. But when we would go into a, a different situation, say 7-Eleven to get our lunch, people would be like, ugh, what's that scent? You know, did somebody, you know, what, what, what is that? It's like, it's them. We just kind of come walking in. It's like, oh, this cloud. And at the end of the day, when we could take off those clothes and, and put them aside, and I have this vivid memory of kind of picking them up and putting them into the washing machine using a broom handle. Because after I'd gotten clean, I didn't want to touch them anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Our old self is a lot like that. And taking those things, and you know, we can wash our clothes, and most of the time they recover but eventually they have to be replaced. And there's something to be said of when we've been made clean by Jesus, then to put on the things of Christ. That doesn't mean perfection then results, but we're no longer living to gratify the desires of our sinful nature. We're no longer, longer just doing the things that whatever I feel like to do. Does this make sense? So with the stench of that, we become sensitized as we follow, follow after Jesus to be able to tell when we're starting to head in that direction again. And maybe it's a, it's a God-directed analogy, but whenever I smell fermenting rotten grass, I can't help but think of specific times and places in my life where 
I was in the spot where I had just gotten clean, and my, my boss called me and said, you guys forgot a lawn. You got to go back. And I had to go with my clean body. Yes, and put on the old clothes and go. And it, I don't mind putting those clothes on in the morning when I was going to work, but after I've been made clean to put those clothes on and to go work again, it's like homeboy doesn't want to touch the clothes anymore, let alone walk around in them. May we become ever sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading to shape us in the new so that we become more sensitive to the things that are part of our old. You tracking with what I'm saying here? That we would not be so comfortable as to be able to fall quickly back into patterns that are destructive. Because most of the work that the enemy will do in attacking us will come through our flesh. Rarely is it just, oh, the devil's attacking us. The devil will attack our flesh and invite us to indulge our flesh in ways that are apart from what God has us to do and how he wants us to live. And it can be with giving ourselves to things that we're not supposed to give ourselves to or in a different context or instead of uh, pursuing, uh, pursuing things of God, instead of deciding I'm going to indulge myself and I'm going to pursue this. There's a whole bunch of stuff kind of running in my head. I don't want to go down rabbit trails because I do want to finish today because it's important. But be thinking on that. Let the word of Christ take root and dwell in you richly. Whatever we're, do, whatever we're doing, we're doing in the name of Jesus. I want to be able to give a Jesus endorsement to the steps I take every day, the places I go, the things that I do, the things that I write, engagement with people. We're called to live our lives in Christ with Jesus established as our Lord and Master. And that really, if you take nothing else, that is the best spiritual warfare that you can do on a daily basis. Now, we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 in chunks. And this is a scripture that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus is a place where he pastored for three years. It was the place he lived the longest. It was the place where, you know, all roads led to Rome, but all roads had to go through Ephesus. It was a, a hub. It was one of the homes, it was the home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the temple of the goddess Artemis. People came from all over the Roman Empire and beyond to come and worship this false god in Ephesus. And as Paul is there for three years, not one time does he try to take a stand and say, people, you guys need to ignore Artemis. But over and over again, he calls people to live a holy life dedicated to God. And he tells them, this is how you can stand against evil. And what we see here is the imagery he uses as he's riding from prison of the armor of a soldier as pictures or as, as, as analogies of things that we can do in our daily life to take a stand against the attack of the enemy in our lives. Okay? So that's what we're seeing here. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 for starters. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done it all to stand firm. The key point to see in all of this is to be strong in the Lord and in his power and in his might. We are never supposed to take a stand in our own strength as though somehow, some way, because we have relationship with God, we can do whatever we feel like doing. 
our source of power and strength and authority only comes by in submission to Jesus in right relationship with him. And Paul gives the instruction, be strong in the, in the Lord and in the power of his might. In the city where the, the worship of Artemis is the primary thing that's happening, Paul says, it's time for you to submit yourselves to God and be strong in what he says is strong, in the power of his Holy Spirit, recognizing that God's way of doing things is very different than the world's way of doing things. Back in, when Jesus was born, uh, Caesar Augustus was known as the Prince of Peace, because he brought peace to the Roman Empire. And he did that through force, through military power, and through violence. And Jesus came to bring peace, and he completely bypassed the political, the socioeconomic, or the military way of doing it. And he says, I'm giving you peace that goes beyond what the world gives. I'm giving you a peace that will remain regardless of your circumstances. He came as the true Prince of Peace. Often we will see Jesus coming in the, and the, the ways of Jesus functioning in the opposite spirit of the prevailing way that the world does stuff. By brute force, by bullying, by power. And we see Jesus coming not insisting on his own way to be served as the son of God, but coming alongside to serve even in the point of a servant, Philippians 2 tells us, that he emptied himself of his own rights and he gave his life in obedience to his God the Father. That then after, after he died on the cross was resurrected from the dead, he would be raised and seated at the right hand of the Father, given the name that is above every single name. Jesus invites us to live in a way that is counterintuitive to the powers of this world. Let us not be people who immediately start to think when we have an enemy that surfaces that it's in a political party or it's in a particular person who's influential. They may be manipulated and being used by the enemy, but they are not the enemy. This scripture tells us that the source of our enemy is these varying levels of spiritual hierarchy in the dark spiritual realm. And we don't need to know all about it, but it's something that is it's, it's in the authorities. You know, who are the authorities? When you think the word authority, what do you think of? What? People, governmental authorities. Uh, I think when somebody says, I'm going to call the authorities, they're going to call the police. They're going to call the fire department. They're going to call somebody who's authorized by the government, by the state to come in and act. Okay? The enemy can work through governmental established circumstances. And you're saying, duh. It can happen. But they're not the enemy. The enemy can work through these cosmic powers, the present Power, what you, the present powers of this present darkness. And there's, there's hierarchies of it and different levels of it. And that's why it starts on the very elemental level that we get to experience. And I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It talks about the elemental spirits of this world who are targeted at us to learn our idiosyncrasies in the areas where we can be tempted in to try and wipe us out on the individual level. And then there's, you know, all sorts of hierarchies of, of darkness that are trying to take down the, the planet. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the people of the world to steal and to kill and to destroy. And just for us to know, Paul's not saying, and this is what I want you to study. You're going to memorize this. But just to recognize our enemies are not people. They are not the, what we're wrestling with. When we're experiencing opposition, it's the rulers, it's the authorities, it's the powers of darkness, it's spiritual forces in heavenly places. These organization, organizational opposition. Paul invites us to put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the devil's schemes because devil is scheming and we may not know what all of those are, but if we're walking with God's armor on us and we're wearing his armor, when, the, when we get hit, it is 
very evident. I love to read military history. And I'm reading uh, several books right now that are talking about uh, some of our incursions over the years and the wars that have been fought in Iraq. And as I'm reading through it, the primary point of attack that most uh, uh, U.S. forces dealt with was the surprise attack. It wasn't the ones they were ready for. It was the ones that they're, as they're driving from one place to another, and an, an IED would, would explode. It's those types of things. If we are ready and we know that there's a frontal attack coming, we can often steal ourselves and say, I'm going to be really vigilant. I'm going to be really prepared. The majority of the time when we are under attack from the enemy, it's coming with these surprise booms. Because if we're ready for it, we're going to respond better. That's why when everything is falling apart, when all chaos is breaking loose at home, we are the most vulnerable potentially to attack of the enemy, not because everything's falling apart, but because our attention is on all the punk kids in our house, on our, our rat of a husband or wife, or you know, our job that we're frustrated with and all the things that we hate, and you know, we, our flesh is starting to come out. And then once our flesh starts to come out, the enemy goes, I can work with that. You're going to give yourself over to that? You know, here we go. I can work with that. Doesn't take much. Start, enemy starts tempting us with, man, you don't deserve this. You know, your time, you, by the way, here's, a, here's a, a friendly encouragement. Anytime you start thinking about what you deserve or don't deserve, it usually comes from the devil. Because that is the kind of the, I am good. I try so hard. I have been dealt this terrible hand, and I don't deserve that type of behavior. I looked at my wife, and I know she knew what she was doing. As We didn't talk about it, but I, she's looking back at me. She knew what I was thinking, and she just walked away. And I thought we were having a conversation. I don't deserve that. The Bible says she should respect me. I don't, don't tell me it says I should love her. I mean, it does, but it says she should respect me. She's just not, I don't deserve that. And there's a rabbit hole we can start to go down. And pretty soon, we've got ourselves all worked up. And, we're, uh, uh, uh. and those are places where it's like, it's funny because we can live in that. But that's our flesh indulging itself and opening up ourselves to attack of the enemy. In Ephesians, it says, you know, be angry, but don't sin. How come? Because when we're angry, when we are angry, and if we give ourselves over to anger, we can be more easily directed to do things that we're going to regret. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be angry and just to let your freak flag fly, just to go nuts. It's okay to feel whatever emotion we happen to be feeling. It's not okay to then put that in the driver's seat and says, I have no control. This last week, we were, I, was, I was talking to Chris and I had a, had a couple more conversations where in our world today, the word triggered, I wish we could turn it into a word that says tempted. Because when you trigger something like a gun, there is no stopping it. Boom. You, you've triggered it. That, this happens. I'm triggered. This is my response. Anytime we can be convinced to take our responsibility and to hand it on to somebody else, well, I couldn't help it. They did this, and I just, I was, it launched me. It triggered me. I just found myself in it. That's the kind of stuff that we see in Scripture where God would confront Cain and says, where's your brother? I don't know. What happened to him? He's, I, he's in the field. How we got there? I don't know. Or, you know, Aaron, Moses' brother, 
who fashioned an idol out of, it says in scripture, he fashioned the idol out of gold. And Moses comes down and said, who made this? And Aaron says, oh, I don't, the people gave me gold and we threw it in the fire and this came out. That's what it says. He completely, t- his own, man, I, I don't know what happened, man. Regardless of another person's behavior, we can never be not held responsible for our response. We have the ability through self-control to be able to feel whatever we feel, to recognize this makes me angry, this makes me frustrated, I want to respond and, you know, like if, if you're old enough to remember the original Footloose where you get just so angry, you just got to go dance somewhere. <laughs> that, you have an opportunity to respond to that temptation and say, no, I'm not going to give myself over to that. And that is spiritual warfare, choosing not to indulge when that trigger hits, when that temptation is there. Does that make sense? Okay. So recognizing, yeah, what we're seeing in in this Ephesian scripture is what I like to call kingdom ways and means. That here's how we resist the attack of darkness that is on us every single day. I'm sorry to invoke just a bunch of old movies, but if you've ever seen the movies Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King, great, great, great movies. Even better books. And there's a portion in the books where you've got these hobbits who are just living in oblivion. Actually, they live in, you know, in Hobbiton. But they're living in oblivion, and they don't recognize that the world's been at war around them forever. And it's only when it finally comes and touches their world, it's like, why is this happening all of a sudden? And Aragorn, the, you know, the, the one who becomes king, there's no spoiler alert here. This has been around for a long time. You know, basically says, you know, you guys were kept unaware because the battles were happening in places you didn't see. Now they're coming to you. You may be unaware of the spiritual warfare that's been going on around you, but it's been going on for millennia. And when it intersects your life, it's not like, what's happening? It's like, Welcome. This is the world in which we live, in which we have a champion, Jesus, who has defeated death and defeated hell and overcome the enemy, but we also have an adversary who's looking to steal, kill, and destroy. And as agents of Jesus, as ministers of reconciliation, people who he calls his own, we are targets. And the reason we are targets is because if they, he went after Jesus, which he did, he's going to come after Jesus' followers as well. The Bible talks a bit about it. It's funny that in this, we're supposed to put on the full armor of God, you know, take up the, in the Lord's power and his might. And it says, and then when everything has come, we'll be able to stand firm. Nowhere in this does it say, and then you'll, you'll be a winner and you'll, you'll conquer it. We are guaranteed to be able to stand firm if we're fighting in God's power. But it does not mean we will overcome and see it all cast away. That'll happen at the end. But much of our lives, I'm convinced that God places us in a dark world to be light. He places us in a world that's rotting to be points of salt and uh, preservation. He places us in positions to stand firm in his power and his might, living righteously as an example to the rest of the world that's going to hell in a handbasket. Not to, you know, take righteous indignation stances, you know, let, let them go, but to, to live in a way that is different in the midst of places that are just completely putrefying. He doesn't call us to go live in a Christian compound somewhere and avoid interacting with the world. He calls us to be in and among, but not of. 
to be around people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, the people we interact with, and to live for Jesus, standing firm in his mighty power, that when the, when the onslaught of evil comes, we remain standing. In our own strength, we cannot stand, but in the strength of God, we will remain standing. This is personal for Joni and I. In 1991, we were visiting a dear friend of mine in Winters, California, and a, a, we were invited to go to a, a leadership meeting at the church that we were visiting. And we're just sitting in the back kind of messing around, writing notes to each other because we kind of like each other. So we're doing that. And the guy who's speaking is a prophetic guy named Dick Mills who memorized the Bible. And he would, as people, as he's given his message, he would stop and he would say, hey, would you two in the back stand up? I've got a scripture for you. And we don't go to the church. We're not on the leadership team, so we're exempt. Except not this day. And he calls us out, and he's pointing at us. And I can remember turning around. We're in the back row. And he's pointing at Joni, and I was like, you two stand up. And it's like, he doesn't know that we're not from here. And so we stand up, and he says, you know, God made you to stand he made you to stand. He quotes the scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 23, talking about a guy named Shammah. And Shammah's a man who's working in his field with a bunch of hired hands. And the Philistines come to attack and take the inheritance, really, is what it is. It's because all the Israelites' land is, or all the Israelites' inheritance is found in their land. So he's working the land, he's getting the produce. And everybody bails except for Shammah. And it says, and Shammah took a stand in his field, and God gave him great victory over the Philistines. And he said, and that's going to be your life. You're going to stand in a place for a people that aren't there yet, for the inheritance that God wants to bring. So you're going to come out smelling like rose. So don't worry about it, but you just stand firm in God's mighty power. You're going to come smelling like a rose. And Joni and I look at each other. It's like, is that good? <laughs> what we found over and over in our life that this is something I believe all Christians are called to, but it's been a special yeah, when we go places, when we're doing things, it's often the thing that God does the most. It's like, I want you to stand in my mighty power, and we don't know what we're standing for yet. We're here today, and the church exists today, not because Louis's great, but because God put us here to stand. And everything that's coming afterwards is not, and please don't think of this as an, as an ode to Louis's, you know, there's not going to be trumpets and fanfare or anything like that. This is, we don't know the good God will do for the inheritance he will bring to others by you simply standing where he calls you to stand. If you would have told me 21 years ago when I had turned in my resignation, I just hadn't handed it over yet, when I'm done pastoring here, I don't want to continue to be here. I want to do anything else but, but pastor. I want to go find a new life, a new career. One of the same wife, though. But I, I didn't want any of that other stuff. And God said, I want you to continue to stand. Will you stand like I've asked you to stand? I did not know what I would be standing for. And when I look around, I see something that God has done simply by a person who wants to put into practice what he has said. And I see so many blessings. And that is not a Louis thing. That is a anybody who will stand where God calls him to stand. You will see this downstream. When, jo when Joshua in Joshua chapter 24 says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is declaring something over his current family, but he's also declaring it over a family that's not there yet. I did not know I would be declaring something over my grandkids and someday my great-grandkids. I did not know what that would look like, but I guarantee you because it is God's principle, when he calls you to stand somewhere, he will bless you and he will bless those that come from you if, if you will stand in his name and his power. That's his promise.
I'm hoping this is connecting. I hope it makes sense. This is, it's his stuff. Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are called to stand firm and he uses these pictures of the belt of truth. And this is speaking the truth, believing the truth, living in the truth. Why is truth such a big deal? John 8, says the devil is a liar and is the father of all lies. When we engage in lies or deception, we are engaging in his language. In Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 and many other places, it says, don't, put, don't lie to each other. Put that off. If you lie to others, you hate them, the Bible tells us. The breastplate of righteousness what does a breastplate cover? Your guts, your vital organs, the stuff that makes you you in here. Righteousness is thinking and living and doing what is right according to Christ. Romans 6 talks about presenting ourselves to God as tools of righteousness, not tools of sin. Ephesians 4, put on the new self with real holiness and righteousness. Proverbs 25, a muddied spring and a polluted fountain is a source of unrighteousness. The breastplate covers your vital organs, and our life flows from this area. When we start to dabble in things that are not righteousness, it opens us up to attack in the most vital areas of our lives. I love, he says, let your feet be shod with the readiness, being ready, being prepared because of the gospel good news, because of peace. Isaiah 52 talks about how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming happiness and salvation, declaring that our God reigns. This is not talking about getting special shoes. This is being ready and being prepared with the good news that comes from the gospel and this, this gospel that brings peace between God and people. Standing firm equals having a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Faith is an unwavering belief in God, his word, and his ways. This doesn't mean we don't doubt. It means that we submit our doubt to him. We believe into him and we recognize that these fiery darts that are coming at us are not always going to be these big, huge things. Often they're going to be, did God really say? The lie that the enemy comes over and over and over again is that when God has spoken something to you, usually when God speaks to you, you could probably be talked out of it. What we see in Scripture is the enemy will say, did God really say? When he confronted Eve, did God really say you can't do that? Did God really say? Faith to believe against doubts, against worry, against deceptions, against temptations. The helmet of salvation, that which guards our heart and our minds. In Isaiah chapter 59, it says, and he put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and he is our redeemer. The sword of the spirit, talking about being filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit's direction and power and insights. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, is one that is seen as a weapon. It is the only thing that Jesus used when he was tempted by the devil. He did not... Get, bring out the biggest Bible, he couldn't start whacking people in the head with it. Instead, he says, it is written, and he 
spoke truth and confronted the lies of the enemy. There are going to be times when everything in you wants to head in one direction and the truth of Scripture will keep you grounded in a place that brings life. We're called to keep alert with all perseverance, to be praying for all the saints with intensity. Colossians 3.17, one more time. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, this is a daily orientation, it's a daily intention to put to death the things that are of the earth, to put off the old, to put on the new self, to put on Christ in all areas, to stand firm in, to stand firm on, to stand firm by the name of Jesus, to live on purpose for him to live and do all that we do in his name. When we go to work, when we're at play, when we're out and about mingling, everything we're doing, we're doing in his name. When we're interacting with our loved ones, may we do that in the name of Jesus. It's much harder to sin against our loved ones and others when we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and direct us and will give us what we need to stand firm in his power and in his might. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would cause your word to dwell in us richly, to take root in us. I pray that you would bring to our minds as we think and as we work and as we act this week these remembrances of what to put to death and what to put off and what to put on, what it means to stand firm in your mighty power and in your might, what it looks like to take the belt of truth, the the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, each of these things, Lord, that we would see how this plays out in our daily life. I pray that you would fill us with confidence in you, rooted in you. I thank you that you equip us for what we battle against, not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and powers. And may we continue to stand firm in you. May we see your purposes worked in our life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With everybody's heads bowed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never started a relationship with Jesus, you know, he tells us that you can do so by believing that he's God, by believing that he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, by trusting in him and putting your, your hope in him, trusting that your sins are forgiven because of him and that your life has a direction and a purpose because of him. And if that's you, I just want to invite you today take a step of saying, by raising your, your hand, saying, this is a day I want to start following after Jesus. This is a day I want to acknowledge I've been living for myself, now I want to live for him. With nobody looking around, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. Thank you, Lord. We give you glory. Thank you, Jesus. You put your hands down. Amen. Amen. You can look up. A couple things. Food for thought. What stands out to you as good news from what we read today in Colossians 3 or Ephesians 6? What is it that we heard today that requires an action on your part today? Holy Spirit brings something to mind about putting off or putting on. What about the thought of the people in our life that we've regarded as an enemy that we now get to acknowledge they're not really our enemy? We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. People are not the enemy, but it sure seems like they are. What do we do? Those are things we have to decide every single day, and usually before we get into that situation. 
In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks quite a bit about, you know, if your enemy persecutes you, you know, how are you supposed to respond? If they do this, if they, you know, strike you on one cheek, what are you, how are you supposed to respond? Pray for those who spitefully use you. It's not fun. By the way, this isn't fun. If you're, if you're looking for happiness and fun, this is not going to be necessarily always fun. But it's the best life that there is because there's joy and fulfillment that's attached to it. I'm hoping you believe me because this is this is like it's true. You think this doesn't sound very fun. It's like talking to my grandkids about cleaning their room. It's like here, there's reasons why we do this. And you know, when three-year-old Brody says, "But this isn't fun," I said, "No, it isn't. But it's good." After the room's clean, I said, "What? what did you like it?" Yeah, it's good, but it wasn't fun. <laughs> the enemy wants to get us caught up in the pursuit of our happiness, just like what we deserve, and fun. And God calls us to be people who are allowing ourselves to go deeper in him to do the things, to do the hard work. Much of the time when we come across a person's life who has done the hard work and we see the beautiful garden that their life has been created in, we think, wow, I wish I could have something like that. It'll cost you. It'll cost you your life. It'll cost you your standing firm in Jesus. It'll cost you not my will but yours be done, Lord. And it's worth every bit of it. There's going to be prayer available right back here by the trellis when we're done. And I just want to pray these two prayers of blessing over you as we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. If you said yes to Jesus, there are yes packets right where Cole is standing in the entryway here. We'd love to get you started in your relationship with Jesus. Please grab one of those. Uh, you know, check out the teams that are coming up and also the life groups that are starting. But more than anything else, stand firm in God's mighty power and know that he's going to meet you right where you are. He's going to give you what you need. You have what you need to do what he calls you to do. Regardless of where you are in the process, you have what you need in Jesus. Let's go. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.